sometimes it helps to take the long view. Part of what that means here at UUCF is at the beginning of every summer, we pause to plan our Sunday service themes for the next 12 months ahead of us. Planning a year in advance gives us a lot of lead time so that week after week, we can weave together words and music and more to construct the thematically integrated services that I know so many of you are grateful for, as you've told us. But as you can imagine, advanced planning is easier in some cases than others. And over the past few days, two particular examples have been at the forefront of my mind. Four years ago, in June 2016, when we were deciding five months in advance about the topic for the Sunday after that year's election, we chose no permanent waves. And that was in reference to the waves of feminism you've seen uh, our intern minister Jen and Nicole wearing white uh, in honor of women's suffrage. Our thinking was that whether or not we elected our first female president, it was important to remember that the waves of progress never stay at a permanent crest. All waves eventually crash and have to rebuild and rise again. Four years later, we have still not elected a female president, but Kamala Harris has now become the first woman, the first South Asian American, and the first Black American to be elected vice president. Similarly, this past June, when we were selecting the theme five months in advance for today, this Sunday after the election, we again needed to select a topic that would work either way. In this case, our intern minister, Jen, had preached a sermon last year that referred to the work of the environmentalist, uh, the environmental activist, Joanna Macy. And I told you at that time that Jen had reminded me that I really hadn't spoken to you enough over the years about Joanna Macy's work. And I'd uh, plan a future sermon at some point about that. And on further reflection, I realized Macy's work would be relevant on this post-election Sunday, regardless of the outcome, because her work informs how to keep going, regardless of what happens. Joanna Macy has spent decades developing a framework and set of practices called the work that reconnects. And one of the core questions at the heart of her perspective is whether at any given moment we are choosing to be part of business as usual, that tends to contribute to what she calls the great unraveling. So are we choosing the great unraveling? Or are we choosing to be part of co-creating a more sustainable future for ourselves, other species, and life on this planet, as Estella's song spoke about? That creates the possibility not of a great unraveling, but of a great turning to a sustainable future. Macy was born in 1929. She's currently 91 years old, and she's one of the wonderful examples of people. We have some members of our own congregation who are like this, who remain energizing, engaged, and inspiring in their ninth decade of life. And because I want to be sure to save some time to talk about her work, I'm going to give you just a few broad strokes about her life. So born in 1920, graduated from Wesley College in 1950, went to France on a Fulbright scholarship, and then was recruited by the CIA, where she worked for two and a half years. There's some of those parts of her life that I think some folks who are familiar only with her later work uh, don't know. Uh, but keep in mind, this was, again, the early 1950s. Um, Betty Friedan did not publish The Feminine Mystique, helping launch that second wave of feminism that rose and crashed uh, um, until 1963. 
Uh, and after Macy's whirlwind of post-collegiate opportunities, she found herself following a more traditional societal script. There's not, there's anything wrong with that. But in this case, it's important what each person's experience is. In this case, she got married, she gave birth to her first child. And in her words, after having been to France on a Fulbright and uh, all, the, all the being in the CIA, she said, nothing prepared me for the isolation and exhaustion in which I found myself as a young mother, especially again in the 1950s. But in the 1960s, her world began to shift again when she, her husband, and their three children spent five years in the Peace Corps with significant time in both India and Africa. Let me pause here to show you one of my favorite pictures of Macy. I'll make the slides full screen. This family photo was taken in 1963. She was 34 years old just before they left for India on their first Peace Corps assignment. They just look so Aussie and Harriet and leave it to Beaver, so business as usual. But in retrospect, it's clear that the seeds were already present that over time would bloom into the radical activism and eco-philosophy and eco-philosopher that she became. And after the Peace Corps, that, that photo in the upper right, it's actually pretty close to today. She's around 91 in that photo. I think she looks great. Uh, after the Peace Corps in the 60s, she spent the better part of the 70s earning a PhD in religion at Syracuse University. She wrote a trailblazing dissertation on the intersection of Buddhist philosophy and general systems theory, uh, which was eventually revised and published by um, SUNY Press. Uh, unless you're feeling really nerdy, I would not start there with her work, but it was really important and pioneering. And so it was in the 1980s, amidst the Reagan revolution, the threat of nuclear Armageddon, uh, that she began leading workshops outside of the academy. And part of what she found uh, and part of why her work continues to be meaningful to so many is how important it is to be honest about how difficult and painful it is to try to change the world. This work will disappoint you. And what do you do with that? It'll also inspire you and, and change things as well. So these experiences led to what was actually her first book published in 1983 titled Despair and Personal Power in a Nuclear Age. Now that may not sound like particularly good news, despair, but again, I promise you so much can grow from being honest about just what we're feeling. Uh, as the Buddhist teacher Ethan Nickturn says, the Buddhist tradition, it's really not about making you feel a certain way. It's about really letting you feel what you feel. And over time, her perspective grew into a spiral where we ride those waves of change and impermanence. Gratitude, honoring our pain, seeing new eyes and going forth. There is no permanent progression, no permanent waves. The spiral keeps on spinning and we find ourselves at different points on it individually and collectively. In the, and in the wake of a historic election, I want to invite us to spend just a few minutes reflecting through the lens of Macy's work that reconnects. The spiral starts with gratitude. If that's accessible to you, it is often helpful, even in the most difficult times, to pause and remember, what am I still grateful for in this moment? But sometimes we find ourselves just in the thick of it, and all we can do is honor our pain. In that spirit, uh, it feels important to acknowledge that uh, many of us found ourselves in that place um, at points over this past week and certainly at various points over the past few years in times of deep anguish, pain, confusion, and grief. 
Uh, now, let me hasten to briefly emphasize, as I often have, Unitarian Universalism is a big tent, as I've detailed at length previously from a historical perspective. There are many, many examples of how to be a religious liberal and a political conservative, what I've sometimes referred to as conservative in the sense of caring about the conservation of nature, upholding the beauty of traditions and rituals, uh, reminding us of the importance of individual rights and um, of not only of individual rights and equality, but also of community, authority, uh, sanctity, and loyalty. But as I've also detailed at length previously, that does not describe the presidency of Donald Trump. To quote two political scientists from Howard University from their book, How Democracies Die, it is important to underscore that no other major presidential candidate in modern U.S. history, including Nixon, has demonstrated such a weak commitment to constitutional rights and democratic norms. And for many people, it's been incredibly painful to witness tens of millions of people continuing to support someone with such a strong track record of cruelty, of lying, of authoritarian impulses, who continues to be anti-science amidst um, new spikes in COVID cases. So in the face of that reality, there can be a temptation at times to dissociate and shut down. But Joanna Macy's work, her, her work challenges us that the greatest danger is actually deadening our heart and mind. As James Baldwin wrote powerfully in The Fire Next Side, Next Time, I imagine one of the reasons people cling to their hates so stubbornly, Baldwin wrote, is because they sense once hate is gone, they will be forced to deal with pain. So the invitation is to honor our pain. As the saying goes, the only way out is through. What we resist persists, we just repress it and it comes out in weird and twisted ways. But what we feel, we can heal. And it gives us the chance to enter into that next phase of Macy's spiral, seeing with new eyes. And as, if I have and as I have opened my heart to feel the pain of so many of my fellow citizens supporting the politics of hate, what I felt within me is a renewed commitment, almost kind of surprising to me. I don't, and I don't actually mean this to virtue signal. I've just felt within me a desire to choose love because hate feels so toxic. Don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean I'm not angry. I'm intensely angry at the injustice of the world, at children separated from parents, and I could go on and on and on. I will continue to channel that anger to motivate my work for justice. It's not anger that feels toxic for me, it's hate. And underneath that anger is a deep love. It's why I'm so grateful for the universalist side of our UU heritage. Deep down, I really am committed to trying to create a world in which everyone, all beings, are well and at peace, in which everyone is safe and protected, in which everyone lives with an open heart. And from the Buddhist perspective that so deeply informs Joanna Macy's work that reconnects, hate is known as one of the three kleshas, the three poisonous roots along with greed and delusion that will poison and warp even the best intentions. As the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. used to say, I have decided to stick with love because hate is just too great a burden to bear. I really do believe that the three poisons of hate, of greed, of delusion, that's so much of what got us into the mess we're in. More hate, more greed, more delusion, that just creates 
that generates more of the great unraveling. It's their antidotes, it's love, it's generosity, it's wisdom, really seeing what's going on that gives us our best chance at the great turning that we dream about. And from that sense of possibility, we reach the final phase of Joanna Macy's spiral of going forth. And as we reflect on what it means to go forth in this post-election period, I urge you, be cautious about interpretations of this election that are too simplistic, um, too simple. There are a lot of people who are saying, oh, look, the way this election confirms my predetermined biases. Just, you know, take a second um, about that. Let me show you, I'll share my screen with you uh, just one more time to say um, more about that. Sorry, make sure it's maximized. There we go. Uh, the first is a map from the New York Times. This uh, it's called the it's the shift in margin in counties from 2016 to 2020. So if an arrow is blue and pointing left, and the longer the arrow is, that arrow voted um, more um, left in this election. And if it's the if it's red and pointing right, it voted right. So what I what I want you to see is and hear me closely. There's a lot of shift going on all over this country. Uh, and so it, it's a lot messier and there's a lot of, uh, there's unraveling and there's turning all over the place. This is messy and complex and there's a lot of work to be done everywhere. If you wanna understand it more deeply, one book that's been helpful to me is by Ezra Klein, Why We Are Polarized. It was published in January and it's one of the books that I think after this election seems like even more prescient and important. So I commend that to you uh, if you're interested in more deeply understanding this moment in which we find ourselves. Uh, returning more fully to Joanna Macy's work as we seek to go forth and build a diverse beloved community for such a time as this, when there's all this shift going on, uh, there's a term that's really associated with her work called active hope. That means more than an inactive, inadequate, naive hope that sits around, I hope the world changes. Our call is to be proactive about turning our dreams into deeds and building the world we dream about. Active Hope is, as you see, the title of one of Basie's best-known books, a new edition is being published early next month. But even more than that, I want to draw your attention to a book that was published a few months ago in honor of Macy's 90th birthday. It's what's known as a feshrift in academic circles, a celebration, uh, a writing and celebration. Uh, it was written by many prominent scholars and activists who've been influenced by her. And it's an interesting question to ask. For those of us who are fortunate enough to live to be 90, what would people influenced by you, what would they title that book? I think it's a really interesting question to sit if, if a book was written on your 90th birthday to honor you, what would the title be? For Macy, it is A Wild Love for the World. I think that's really powerful and beautiful. And as a reflect on what it means to cultivate a wild love for the world uh, for such a time as this, the phrase that keeps coming to mind is a mantra from another Buddhist teacher, Roshi Joan Halifax, expanded on by Brene Brown. Strong back, soft front, wild heart. In short, that means that all this talk about love, it doesn't mean being a pushover. Strong back, love can be tough, but it also means not armoring up because when we armor up, we think we know what's happening and we don't see the way that there's shift happening everywhere across this country in ways often not seen. Keep a soft front that's open to change and being surprised. 
Um, again, this map uh, is surprising. If anyone isn't surprised by this, I mean, I don't know, I find this map super interesting and surprising. Uh, that's where the wild heart comes in, a heart that is vulnerable to heartbreak, but that is also open to love and connection and transformation, open to connection in surprising places. Looking back from the perspective of her ninth decade, Macy has said the central question of her life has been, how can I be fully present to this world, present enough to rejoice and be useful when we as a species are destroying it? It's a really powerful question. How can I be fully present to my world, present enough to rejoice and be useful when we as a species are destroying it? There is no guarantee that we will collectively choose the great turning over the great unraveling. But there remains so much to be grateful for on this beautiful planet in which we find ourselves. There remains the possibility of continuing to respond with an active hope. And I am so grateful to be on this journey with all of you. As Jen and I have both said multiple times recently, if you're ever feeling overwhelmed and feeling like I just can't do this alone, remember one of the best strategies is stop being one person. We are stronger together. And along those lines, over the past few months, I've been so grateful to see there have been more than 4,500 Unitarian Universalists from over 800 congregations, including many members and friends of UUCF, who have participated in the UU the Vote campaign. Through postcards and letters and phone calls and texts, we have contacted 2.79 million voters. Just UUs, 2.79 million voters. This election was close, y'all. And without a significant get out the vote effort, such as you, the vote, we have likely found ourselves even more entrenched in business as usual than we are. So as we continue to reflect on all that has been and the part that we feel called to play and all that may yet be, I want to invite us in a few moments to sing together one of the central anthems of the you, the vote campaign titled We Shall Be Known. The lyrics are directly inspired by Joanna Macy's ecological vision of a great turning grounded in love. We shall be known by the company we keep. That's you. That's us this morning, right? You're choosing to be here. We shall be known by the company we keep. Or as I think with Thanksgiving come, coming up, as one of my mentors used to say, may we be grateful for friends who are like family and for family that are actually friends. We shall be known by the ones who circle round to tend these fires. It makes me think of the chalice lighting that we often do as we gathering. It makes me think that Joanna Macy was an adjunct minister for years, an adjunct minister, an adjunct professor for years at Starking School for the Ministry. She helped um, train, you know, generations of Unitarian Universalist ministers. We shall be known by the ones who sow and reap the seeds of change alive from deep within the earth. I think of that seeds of change. Some of you may know that Mexican problem proverb, when they tried to bury us, they didn't know we were seeds. It is time now. It is time now that we thrive. It is time we lead ourselves into the well. I think that's that digging deep is that seventh principle of the, the um, interdependent web of all existence. It's what Joanna Macy and others have called the ecological self. I do not have time to go deeply into this, but it is that sense, and I know some of you feel it, that myself does not stop with my skin, that we are deeply caught up in the interdependent web of all existence, that I can love my neighbor as myself because my neighbor deeply is myself. The earth 
is myself. We are caught up in this interdependent web. It is time now, and what a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. It is scary, but it is important to be alive right now. In this great turning, we shall learn to lead in love. As Dr. King said, hate is too great a burden to bear. May we learn to lead in love. Let's sing together. We shall be known.